Okay. We're back. I'm back. Back from the inner depths of obscurity, of responsibility, of liability, and just uh, ability altogether. That's right. It's me, Dean Ryan, and welcome to uh, Real Deal Media's podcast, one of the shows on the podcast universe here. Late night thoughts, where we gather in a very unruly, unstructured manner to share and show、uh, our late night thoughts, because it's really at the late night era of the day that、uh, we can freely express, maybe even reflect, regret for some,、uh, just you know, life, the world. Universe, friends, family, relationships—pretty much everything. Anything goes. Everything goes. We speak about everything and absolutely nothing at all. Anyways,、uh, joining me tonight, one of our youngest cast members. She is by far the youngest, and、uh, almost as young as me. People would say, but I said, "Nah, get out of here." That's a producer. Lounge extraordinaire Jesse Whitney. Jesse, it's so good to、uh, hear from you tonight. How is your late night? Well, it's late and it's night, and it's pretty much standard.、Mm. Good times.、Mm, good, 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 good. Okay. Anyways, yeah, this is your first time、uh, doing a podcast with me. We haven't really done anything like this、uh, in, in our history, to my knowledge. So. Glad you are here.、Um, yeah, you know, just it's been a hectic like two weeks, maybe three. Like you were telling me, you had a, like a, a very tough day today, and I'm like, well, I think every day seems to be a tough day with just moments of pure joy and happiness. Is that is it like that for you, or is, am, am I the?、Uh, Spartacus in that、uh, category there. I don't think so, honestly. It's the way that the world is right now.、Um, it's hard. It's you know things are、uh, things are pretty.、Uh, they're heavy. You know, they could be、What? they could be pretty serious. So and then and then sometimes things are great, obviously. But it's all. What's the, the what is the hardest thing? What is the hardest thing in your day? Is it like waking up? Is it feeding your dog in the morning while you're waking up? Is it coming home and having literally to waking、do? up? Probably is the hardest part of my day because every single morning, I'm just like, "Fuck!" I'm sorry, I won't, I won't finish the word. We'll just go beep. But that's literally every morning for me. And、uh, what? What? Are, are you just not a morning is- person? Are you not a morning not person? Not that I'm not、is、a morning person. It's that I wake up in the world that we live in, and I'm just like, I'm tired of it. I'm just, I, you know, I'm just.、Uh, it's it's hard. I think you get it. I think you understand. Now, you know, people say like manifest your reality. Manifest yeah, and I your, agree with、uh, that. And you know, and I and I was trying to like discover how to do this, and it's like there is some kind of spell I could say, you know, for years, then. Unbeknownst to myself, that I was manifesting my reality, not because I was saying Shazam three times in a row or 
clicking my heels or, you know, whatever. It's that I put people in, in within my circle, like a casting director, that are shades of myself. You know what I mean? I could see that. I could. So when so then I hear like people like, oh, it's you know the walls are closing in around me and um, it's terrible. Now we're talking about you know the the struggle of the day and. I think that we have we I think we share something in common is the mornings are very difficult uh, for us and uh, it's always been that way for me and I wonder if it's because because I've done a lot of uh, interpersonal reflection in my own life I wonder if it's because when I when I there's a how should I say when there's something due and there's a time and an authoritative mm-hmm purpose to be somewhere or start on some some specific time the 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 contrarian in me subconsciously is like he he can't do that right now (laughs) you know and and right i hate that do you have that same problem i do honestly like it 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 does like so there's there's many ways that this will manifest but for instance i do have to be at a spot that's like 33 minutes away from me by 7 a.m. Um, three days a week. And those are the hardest days of my week. And those are the days that I dread. Um, but otherwise, even like there's other deadlines, there's other things where I'm like, oh, I got to get my taxes together or something that I could do on my own time. Um, but there's always that level of anxiety as soon as I wake up where I'm just like, crap, you know, like, but the worst is when I have to be somewhere by a certain time and I can't just hit the snooze button two more times. Right. I just know, I just know that I have to like roll out of bed. And right. I think though, like another thing that I think about recently is like, have you, have you ever had that moment where like the day after a breakup or something and you wake up or something like serious, like a life changing event, you wake mm-hmm. up the day after and you almost forget that like, your life is completely different, but it starts to sink in as you're like waking up and you're like, Oh my God, like something really bad happened yesterday. Now this is like the beginning of the, of the new reality. Yeah. um, Yeah. It it feels that way after every election almost. It feels feels that way way almost since, since 2022 start or sorry, since 2020 started, I feel like Uh it's, it's getting worse and worse. And I love I love my life. Don't get me wrong, I really do, and I feel blessed all the time. But there are so many things that I wish were not the way that they are, and I would love to just go back to the way they were before. And I think when I wake up in the morning, I think the last two years have been progressively worse. Is it because is it because you're in New York? I think because I felt that way when I was in L.A. for sure, in California. I'm sure in you did. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I left and I went to Texas, it was like a totally different reality because, you know, we're, we're so within the interstate confines of uh, the, the problems of where, you know, that area and the propaganda that's poured into it. And then once you get out, like an abusive relationship, right? You yeah. don't know how bad it is until you get out of it and look back and you're like, wow, 
in Scrooge when the ghost of Christmas past took him to go look at his, himself in a younger stage with his family. It was only then he realized to appreciate those moments he spent with his family because he didn't appreciate it at the time. So it's when you get out of that habitual routine of feeling anxiety and the problems of your, you know, your, your society, your surroundings as an empath that you are. When you get out of that, then you go, oh, wow, it's just for that area. It's interesting, Dean, is that I grew up I grew up here in New York. And as you know, I did live in California for like probably like four years, Southern California. It was beautiful. I loved it. But I never felt like I belonged, you know. And then I, I was an over-the-road truck driver, and I spent two years doing that, trying to figure out where am I supposed to be. And I actually moved to Missouri, never actually like spent more than like two weeks at a time there. I just had an apartment there that I would go to and be like, okay. And I kind of like tried to figure out like, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be because Missouri was great. I loved it. Like everybody was very friendly. Um, and then eventually I ended up back here in New York and, and it was, it was my choice. You know, I actually, people can't believe it. Like, why would you come back? And yeah, I'm still, it's, it's weird. I'm happy to be here. There's a very weird uh, phenomenon that's happening here mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm actually like, I'm not mad at where I am, but I understand what you're saying. Cause things here are very um, oppressive, very dark. Right. There's like a, yeah. there's a, there's an energy to this area. Sure. And, uh, and I, and I remember recognizing that, like if, if I could leave and look at it from, from an outsider perspective, be like, Oh my God, I'm glad I'm not there. You know, it's, it's Um, a dark energy. And I, I felt that in LA, I felt that I I definitely felt that in Boulder, Colorado. I feel very fortunate though, that I'm, I'm outside of, uh, I'm, I'm in like a white crusty suburban neighborhood, you know? So I'm not in like the inner city I'm, I'm actually, I could throw yeah. a rock into the city from where I'm at. I'm, a, I'm in a hill outside of the city. And then to the, you know, to the east of me is Vermont. It's uh, actually very, it's, like, um, it's very beautiful where you are. And I didn't really know much about where you're from until we collaborated together to do that uh, music video remix of um, another sad song, which you know, it's anything but. It's actually a really good song. But it's you live a in a song. very beautiful uh, northern uh, upper state New York. People, if they looked into it, they, you know, there might be places to go and visit eventually. Yeah. And the thing about where I live right now, so I am near the capital of New York. I'm actually, I think, about 10 miles away from Albany, which is like the the hub. But you would think that it's more urban surrounding like there's a lot of cities right it's like a cluster of cities we got troy albany schenectady um uh, latham colony colony is that's a whole thing it's actually it is albany and latham it's very hard to explain um but this area um there's there's a lot of uh like in albany that's a whole thing like i've lived in albany it, you know, people are having domestic violence issues right outside my window. Um, I'm afraid to walk my dog. Somebody shot their dog in their backyard right behind my house. You know, it's like weird stuff happens. And that's like the inner city, right? 
I'm and then there's Troy, which is like right next to Albany, but I'm actually like in the outskirts of Troy, which is Brunswick. It's it's like all of a sudden people have chickens and people are uh, people have a garden and people have like my friend has a horse and she lives just five miles from me. I, I don't have room for a horse. I, I'm in a suburb, but the area is so um, it's it's interesting like that. Like you can I could drive and all of a sudden. I, I'm out in the woods, you know, and I'm, I am I only drove like two minutes and all of a sudden I'm out in the woods, but I could drive another two minutes the other way and I'm in the center of the city and there's the social security building and there's the bus stop and there's a weird sex toy shop. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just weird. It's this area is very interesting and I love it for that. But at the same time, it's New York. Around you know, what's interesting me. is. And there's a longer context to this, and, and allow me to uh, lay the uh, the tracks down here. Is you're essentially taking a page out of my book that I did uh, two years ago at the end of 2020. I felt that calling to come home to Orange County, where whereas I just literally left California maybe four four months prior, and I did that, and I never. I never felt happier because Orange County, like, you know, the, the city you're from, uh, 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 Onita, Oneana, 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 but yeah, yeah. That, that's, I don't feel as tied to that area. That's like an hour so, from here. Like, uh, right, right. So Orange County um, is the, the, you know, I, I've always described it as the bastion uh, of, you know, freedom compared to LA. You couldn't be any different. I agree. Than, than something that's so there. close, I agree. right? And, and and that's one of the biggest misconceptions because LA is such a attention grabber. It's a money maker. You know, you, across people come to California to go to LA. No, not necessarily Orange County. You know, besides Disneyland. But so I did that, and I had never been happier. And you know, I, it was close to the beach. You know, where where I feel like I belong. Right. Where, stem from and you're in your element oh yeah i'm in my element i feel that nostalgia i have memories i could i'm not lost and like you said earlier you said this and, and it really resonated with me you said no matter where you were living elsewhere whether it was southern california missouri but it just never felt like home and i so relate to that because i've lived a lot of places i've traveled but there's nothing like home Nothing mm -hmm. like home, you know. And even if you hate people, your home, it's still home, you know. Sure, there's yeah. nothing like home. I mean, my grandparents are, are, are buried there, my friends from yesteryear are still there, but uh, it's just there's no place like home. So, you kind of, uh, in, in some regard, maybe subconsciously followed my footstep where several years ago, people don't know this, but roughly four years ago, I would say maybe under that just slightly, as I kind of followed the footsteps of Jesse. So it, it's kind of like this intertwining, um, interwoven, uh, I, I guess, uh, pattern here. And four years ago, my grandfather uh, passed, and I felt hopeless. I felt so lost. Uh, I was working at a TV station just kind of, doing quasi-producing and, and ads and marketing in Vegas. It was going nowhere. It was 
and I wasn't really, I was trying to shop a TV show and that was always a dead end. And so I was really lost and depressed and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Although I just had to go and get out and do something. And so at that point I saw, uh, Jesse and kind of her journey, what she was doing at the time. And I was like, my God, she's doing truck driving. What the hell? I was about to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. 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 I remember and you I, were like, Hey, what's up? What's up with that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, what is that all about? And I said, that might be perfect for me. Cause I, I have to get out of here. I, I I'm lost. I don't know what to do. So anyways, yeah, I, so I reached out to uh, reached out to Jesse and I kind of told her what was going on and and she she got to see you know the, the the country and travel and that's what I'm all about and so I kind of followed her footsteps and went on the craziest tailspin to middle nowhere Texas because at that point I, I was living in Texas I moved out of uh, Vegas temporarily. And, you know, when you're really down and out, Vegas is like the last place you want to be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, new Vegas is even the worst spot spot. Like that's even worse than Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, like, that's like the Vegas of Vegas. Like, (laughs) you know how many people like, um, I remember cause I, when I turned of age, I, I we would go to Vegas, like on the drop of a, you know, hat, a drop Mm -hmm. of a dime. So many people go there enthusiastic, excited, just extremely vigorated with with uh, just energy you know i and then i leave, feel like and vegas, leave the opposite <laughs> i feel like vegas and la i used to make this comparison like la is like vegas right because it's a bunch of shiny lights a bunch of lies and false promises everybody goes there they think that's going to be their big hit you know they're going to live their dream and they get to la and vegas have the same thing palm trees lights uh, fakeness, you know, you get there and it's like Vegas is like LA on crack and s- squeezed into a smaller area. Um, and then, and then you get Henderson, Nevada, and that's like, that's where they like, it's like Lancaster, you know, it's like you didn't make it. So go do your thing out there. Just- right. Well, there's a real upside to Vegas after living there for about three years. It's cheap. Until the, until the, yes. It, you know, the upside about Vegas is the outside. You can drink inside Walgreens. You can, yeah, you you know, you, you can get a drink. There's always something to do. And the cool thing is. You can drink is, inside Walgreens. That was my favorite my favorite part of Vegas. It was I, I walked into no, Walgreens uh, with a beer. Oh, okay. I thought you, I, you directly go to Walgreens. One. You don't like directly Yeah, I went inside Walgreens. Walgreens. Well, okay. no, I went in there to buy another beer because I ran out. Right. And I, I had one in my hand and then opened another one while I was in there. Okay, because I was under and the was impression like, that that's that's your that's your go to place to go drinking. Let, let's go to Walgreens. To go <laughs> I just thought I was like, wait, it's like a different universe, you know? Like I could just walk in and out of a drugstore with a beer in my hand and open another beer while I'm in the drugstore, and nobody cares. Like it's well, just like. But but here here's the upside is if you have a lot of friends around the country or maybe even outside, everybody goes to Vegas at least once a year. Right. You know that that's kind of an, and it's a cheap flight to get in and out. So that was kind of cool. I got to see a lot of friends often because mm-hmm. I was living down there. They'd stay with me for a weekend or whatever. Yeah, I and, can tell you how many times I've run into people in Vegas that I knew, like including yeah. you. 
Yeah, yeah, you were there once, and we and we went mm-hmm. to uh, circus. We went circus. to a weird. Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. Later, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a very big. Um, actually, that was a very important night, and I remember. I remember our conversation. I, I don't know if I, I want to get into that, but it was a very. We could talk. Night. I mean, yeah, we could talk about so, that later, but. Yeah, it was a but good time. I have. I have a nice video of that too, um, on my YouTube channel. I'll sh- I'll send it to you later. Oh, do you? I'm sure you've seen it. I feel like you've yeah. seen it, right? Probably not. I made I, I mean... made like a I made a nicely edited. I I edited it on my phone. It wasn't like perfect, but you were mm. your voice was in it at one point. I think. But, oh my god. Yeah. I don't know if I remember. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah. So that's what it is. It's really the surroundings, you know, it goes back to, I, I think I was trying to highlight earlier is it's the um, manifestation really happens sometimes when you least expect it, but it's who mm-hmm. you place in your life. And for the longest time, and I don't know if, if you relate to this, but I was people in my life for almost not so much reflections of me, but reflections of like my parents in a way in the bad elements of my parents and then like the good elements of them too. And maybe particularly women, like, you know, so they all just naturally like women I would date, uh, you know, kind of sort of speak, had this severe bipolar element to them, like my mother. Hmm. And it took me decades to realize that. Right. I honestly, (laughs) I think I might have the same problem and I didn't have a father. So, um, my mom like i think i think honestly it's it's a weird thing but we are drawn to what we what we're used to right whether we want that or not even even if we're trying to avoid it it still Mm -hmm. it still finds us somehow it's comfortability it's uh familiar and yeah you know, and it, that's another thing. I didn't know how crazy my mother was, my my biological mother, until I got away from her, and mm-hmm. and then I look back. I'm like, that is not right. That I can't believe that. I, that is I not right. that's crazy. I have the same. I have a very. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Um, I'm sure you do to some extent. But um, when I was 18 years old, I I literally like. I mean. My boyfriend at the time was going to come see me and my mom knew he was going to come see me. And then she decided, I don't know, like a couple hours before he was going to arrive. He he lived. I lived in Oneana, the town that you saw those pictures of. And my boyfriend lived in uh, Albany or the Albany area. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the bridge. This is how I got out here an hour away from there. <laughs> but he came to right. see me and, and my mom was like, oh, if he comes, you you should just leave with him. And and this was after a very, you know, toxic, horrible relationship that I didn't even realize I had. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, bye then. And I left with him and I actually lived in a field in a tent and there were wolves sniffing around our head. It was crazy. Like we almost got eaten by wolves while we were sleeping. And then his oh mom, he, he brought me to his mom's house. It was like, oh, this is Jessie. Uh, she's mm-hmm. going to stay with us. And she was like, no. Mm-hmm. So we went out and we we slept in his uh, best friend's like out behind his best friend's house in a tent for like a week. And we woke up one morning and we could hear like a, like a dog, you know, sniffing around our heads. And we realized, Oh my God, 
there's like coyotes or wolves out here and they're going to eat us, you know? And I was 18 years old. Um, just yeah. turned 18. I, I remember I turned 18 in May and May 18th, I turned 18 and June 1st was the day that I decided, um, you know, you know what, mom, I'm done. Cause she was, she was just very toxic, very controlling. I had a great relationship with her, but she didn't want me to have anything going on in my life other than her, you know? So I, she told me, you know, if your boyfriend comes here, you can just leave with him. And I said, okay, bye. And I just left and I threw all my stuff in garbage bags. She begged me not to go. I left and uh, it was pretty rough. And finally the dude's mom, my boyfriend at the time was like, okay, you, you can come. And I, I slept in the craft room and we ended up getting our own place. And that's basically, I mean, there's a lot more to it. I won't get into it. Lots of partying and people doing sure. weird drugs that I've never heard of in my house. And, mm -hmm. We got our we got our own apartment and it was like the craziest. It was just like people. I would wake up and there's people in my house that I didn't even know. And and would you say that's because? Um, and I notice and I hear this uh, often that uh, mother and daughters fight so hard in in the those adolescent years, only to reconnect later and then become the strongest bond ever. Well, I mean, I and that was the that was the worst part that I uh, I. You know, I um, I I lived out here for the longest time in in the Albany area, and then I eventually knew I was going to move out to California, and I was like, wow, I don't really have a great relationship with my mom. Like I would talk to her every day on the phone, but we would fight a lot. Like she she was very my mom wasn't normal. Like she just was not healthy. You know, like she was just mm -hmm. she was toxic for me. But I right. wanted a relationship with her very bad. And I love and she I knew she loved me like she she used to tell me the weirdest things. Like if you murdered somebody, I would still love you. I'm like, why would you say that? You know? <laughs> wow. Like she would so say flattered. the weirdest shit to me. <laughs> like, I don't care what you did. I would still love you. You know, and I'm yes. like, OK, mom. But she yeah. was awesome. Like she was so smart. She was so fun to talk to. And all her friends yeah. like would say like, oh, she was so interesting and she was so fun to talk uh -huh. to. But like she was just she had this thing where she would just like take everything personally, you know, yeah. and she would make you like have to like, I don't know. She was just stressful. So I tried to spend some time with her before I moved out to uh, California and I moved back to Oneana, spent a bunch of time out there and she was too busy for me. Ironically, the whole time, almost as if like she, she's tried so hard to spend time with me the whole time I lived in Albany for yeah. from 2007 to 2016 so the whole time I was living out here, she she wanted to spend time with me so bad and I was too busy. And it was like cats in the cradle, you know, mm -hmm. and then like I would try to I I moved out to Oneana specifically to like, OK, well, I'm moving to California, so I'm going to spend the summer here. And she had no time for me. And then um, and then she ended up uh, she ended up getting really sick and I moved out to California and then California was too expensive. So I started truck driving and as I was on the road, I started to get really into it. I was like, oh, I think I'm getting the hang of this. I'm, I'm in my own truck. I'm by myself. with It's just me and my dog. And then all of a sudden, my mom has cancer and she's dying. You know, it's before you found out that she had uh, an ill, I, I remember distinctly now. Uh, we were in Vegas and mm -hmm. you were... Uh, you were dating what I would call maybe like a, Somebody, a business A mutual friend. 
yeah, 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 right. Without ha having to rehash that, <laughs> and but um, but I remember we were talking, and I I think I the the subject of marriage got brought up for some reason, and mm -hmm. and I said and that well, was a very it, frustrating it, thing because I was like I don't think he's gonna marry me at all. That really pissed me off. I was just like right, but, but I, I remember I said um. If you do, Vegas is like a good place. You know, you, your family, your your grandmother or whatever, your mom, your brother could fly out cheaply. And and you said to me, I don't know if you remember this. You said to me, well, I'm not too close with my mother right now and stuff like this. And and I and I said to you that, you know, that is that is the most important relationship is the mother and daughter. I said you sh you yeah. need to go home now, and you need to call her, and you need to. Uh, you need to mend that. You need to repair that and mm -hmm. go get married. And then uh, I think you started that trail and then that's when some things went down later. Mm -hmm. but, and it's interesting because her and I did talk on the phone every day, either way, even if it was just like a quick, like, it was just like, even my friends would be like, why do you talk to her? Because every time you talk to her, you're upset, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. But I remember at some point when I was out on the road, and it might have been right after that, where I was like, wow, I just had the best conversation I've ever had with my mom, ever. And mm -hmm. I remember, like, confiding in her, you know, some of the personal things that were going on in my life and some of the things that I, I wasn't proud of and things that I wasn't sure of. And I was able to, like, spill my guts to her, and she was so loving and understanding. And, and uh, I was like, wow. You know, there's nothing like your own mother to, like, I don't know, put things in perspective or whatever it was. I, I just thought it was just, like, the most amazing moment. And it was literally, like, two months later because I was in the process of getting onto, I, you know, I don't know. A lot of people don't understand this, but when you're a truck driver, you have to spend a certain amount of time with somebody else. Uh, you have to train. You have to be in a truck with somebody. Luckily, it was somebody that I knew. But I was in the process of like getting into my own truck and I was, you know, it was a very scary time. Like I was like going to go out there on my own, you know, and do my own thing. And I got into my own truck and I, and I started to like feel a little bit confident and think, oh, wow, you know, I'm, I'm killing it out here. And I think it was like after that one conversation I had with her where I felt like this is the best conversation we've had in years and I felt so good about it. And like two, I think it was like, I don't know, it was like a month or two later, my aunt called me and told me my mom had cancer. And I was like, why are you calling me? You know, but um, it was just the most life changing moment. I was like, it's got to be serious if, if I'm getting my aunt never talked to me. Like she randomly right. called me about it. And I was like, wow, this this has to be like a big deal. You know, it's funny, yeah. too. I, I wanted to mention this just because it's it's so fresh. Like, this just happened today. But my uncle, my my uh, my mom's brother, um, who was not there when my mom was passing away, told me that I hate America today. Could you imagine that? He told me that I want to see America burn to the ground and I hate mm -hmm. America based on what he's seen me post on, face on Facebook. Right. And I was right. just like, wait, what? I'm like, how could, where do you, how, how could you draw that conclusion that I hate America? That's the craziest thing. So it sucks. Like after my, and my mom was the black sheep of the family. And since she passed away, I think I've taken that 
roll on because I'm not going to just tell them what they want to hear, you know? And they're very educated and, and useless. That's the way I look at them. Highly educated, but useless and no critical thinking. Like I come from a very educated family. It's just like- I, I, I relate to that too. Cause my grandmother was, um, she was the oldest of a, a lot of siblings and probably the only one that was educated and uh, lift, you know, lifted up, lift her, lifted herself up from her bootstraps and made something out of herself. So there was a lot of that uh, sibling resentment. That was my grandmother. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we, that resentment transfers to the, the offspring of that person and the targets and the, um, you know, the crosshairs get put on you. So I know, I know that feeling. And I'll tell you what, there was not, there was not a, a more liberating feeling that I got than when I parted ways with people like my mother. And not only that, when I washed my hands of that, and then I washed my hands of, of like these, these terrible cousins and the people connected to that side of the family. The liberation comes when you decide that you're not going to live by the community guidelines. Of, oh, not Facebook, but the people that <laughs> are supposed to be related yeah. to who are the community HOA people now that you're related to. And it's a yeah. good feeling. And the fact that that is the argument from somebody that's supposed to be related to you really uh, highlights that not only there's no basis, there's no uh, fact or even common sense in his argument, but it sounds like it's coming from a place of resentment from his past that he's now pushing it on you. It almost seems like he you. hates me. Like, and it's like I've never done anything to him, but he acts like I did something terrible to him. Like the way he treats me is like I've always tried to just like I've never brought up politics with this guy. Right. And he's my uncle. Like he's my mom's brother. And he used to before COVID, before Donald Trump was elected, before things got so crazy, he used to like see something like he he saw potential in me. And I remember it was almost like it was almost like he felt like he was doing me a favor by giving me attention because it's like, OK, well, maybe you're not. You know, because it's like when my mom had kids, it's almost as if they were like, oh, my God, you know, she's having kids like he just assumed that every child my mom gave birth to was just going to be a waste of time because he he just thought my mom was a waste of time, you know, and uh, he he started to, like, take interest in me. And we shared photography together. He He thought I was like he thought I had a natural because he 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 was a good photographer and he had pictures in uh National Geographic and he was like he was literally like kind of like I think he made a living out of photography and he was the manager of the reptile section of the Toledo Zoo for a very long time. So he he made something of himself and my and uh my my aunt, my mom's sister was a she did neurofeedback and biofeedback led the way with that. Uh, back in like 1990 something like when it was just new technology she was like on the forefront of that all of my family had phds like he had a phd my aunt had a phd my mom had a bachelor's degree right and i remember back at the beginning of uh the whole jab 
a ceremonial bull bull crap that happened where everybody was like, oh, you got to get the job, got to get the job. You know, I was in a group message with with him and my cousin and my aunt after my mom passed away because my mom passed away in 2019. So she wasn't alive for um, the the Wu Tang um, virus. So I said it. I did well, why don't you trust us? Like, why won't you just go do the thing and get the thing, you know, like, oh, your family is highly educated and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, here's some articles. Here's some things. And they had like a violent reaction. I don't I Do you remember this, Dean? Like, this was like, probably like a year ago, where it was like, maybe more than a year ago, or less than like a little less than a year ago, or like, they, they basically were like, I can't explain it, but they put it on me. Like, I didn't bring it up. They were just like, I should have just lied and said, like, yeah, I got the jab. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, but I, that's not in my character. Right. I was just like, no, I don't I don't need it. You know, I don't want to get it. Mm -hmm. um, and here's why. And here's some articles and here's some things about natural immunity and blah, 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 blah. And their reaction was basically like they took it personally somehow that I wouldn't just do what they told me to do. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, who does that? Like, who has that? Who who thinks that they have the right to tell another human being how to live? Like, I'm not telling them not to get it. You know what I mean? So my family basically got in a huge fight with me and I didn't hear from them for months because I just said I didn't want to get the jab. And I was just like, and my cut, and it all came up because my cousin was double jabbed and got covid very badly she said something about like how like oh i'm glad that i you know i do everything right and i and you know i wear my mask and i go to she's she's a hairdresser my cousin she's like i wear my mask and i do everything right and i got the jabs and i still got sick and then she tried to blame it on people who did not to who opted not to get the job and i couldn't like it was in a group message on on uh on our little group chat or whatever and i was like um i don't think it's fair for you to assume that it the the people that didn't get the jab got like was the one that made you sick you know so that turned into a whole thing and it's like weird it's almost as like, like when people do get sick after they got the job they want to blame the people that didn't get the job it's just the weirdest thing the way that they treat me my own family it's the craziest thing i you know i am who i am i have my own opinions they treat me as if I did something to them somehow by by not agreeing with them. It's almost like the most offensive thing that's that's ever happened. You know, uh, from my perspective, Jesse, outside of your issues with this family of yours or the so-called family, there's really nothing you have to be depressed about or anxiety riddled about because you have been a fluorescent star that has risen from such challenge in the ashes of death and loss. And there's really nothing that has prevented you from achieving. And ultimately, there's nothing that's preventing you from being happy. And I think that if you find a way or some kind of maneuver to not associate with the dead weights, I'm traditional and I hold value in family yeah. and it's, it's so it's, it sucks so bad that like 
I know. Like it's almost like it's almost like when you go to like uh, a thing, like you're about to like you just like you know something in your heart. Like let's say like someone like somehow talked you into a timeshare meeting, right? You show up and you're like, oh my god, I'm in a timeshare meeting. This is stupid. Like this is not gonna work. Like long long term, this is the dumbest decision I've ever made this week. You know. And that's how I feel every time I try to have a relationship with my family. It's just like, okay, it might look good for a second, and then they're going to end up hurting me. But you, know, you know, but Jesse, I, I don't know if you see it from my perspective. It wrecks you. It really does. It does. It does. It, does. it really it, does. It, it puts me in but, a bad spot for months. But you're. Sometimes. But that's. But that's like something you keep coming back to. So it's that habitual routine we were talking about. You know, creature of habits, creature of tradition. You know, abuse is a tradition for a lot of people. My and mom dealt with it. My mom actually had to deal with them and they were horrible to her. And I watched it my whole life. And that's one of the things that almost makes me more mad is like I watched them treat my mom terribly. And my mom would be very emotional and very upset. And she'd be like, oh, you know, and she would let me and my brother go and spend time with the family and she would just stay home. That's where it was at. Like it got to the point where she didn't even want to go with us to go see them. We would fly to Florida without her from New York to go see my, to go spend time with my family. Cause they were just that awful. And I get it now today. I told my uncle never to talk to me again. So it sucks. Yeah, it does. It, it just, um, th that's part of the great awakening. Well, so. let's uh, let's kind of change gears here. Let's kind of be uh, let's get it out of the our our gloom and doom, both of our past, but <laughs> because um, there's a lot of uh, good things going on too in people's everyday lives. You know, because as you know, as the world's changing and it, it seems like it's you know from a from a perspective and a distance, like it, it's all bad. Well. In some way, the lessons that are being learned is, well, first of all, relationship-wise, you're having a second look at who you're married to, who you're dating, who you're related to, who you want to associate with, because it's important to know where people stand in this mm -hmm. great time of evolution, not just revolution. And it's taught people, and you're one of them, I'm going to ask you here in a minute, about being self-reliant. And when mm -hmm. self, with self-reliance, it comes with, uh, you know, uh, growing your own food, cooking your own food and all the self-reliant things. But it also comes with taking back your power and not giving mm -hmm. the power and the sovereignty of like, for instance, your health into the prestige and the institution of it, which is why people are flopping over and dying right now. I mean, they it, their power they're in a system. Yeah. <laughs> People are give, they have, people have given us included over the years growing up we've been in, in the system people have been indoctrinated to give their power their individuality and everything that's tied to it away to the institutions because they know Agreed. better Agreed. because oh we're not qualified to have an opinion on that and oh God forbid right you yeah. know and that's what we're learning. You could be qualified to have an opinion, but if it's the wrong opinion, suddenly you're French and you're not qualified. You're some quack crackpot. So you could be completely qualified and have an opinion if it doesn't match up with the right. 
uh narrative then right. all of a sudden you're just a you're just a piece of shit so that's why i say the greatest minority in the entire world is the individual that mm-hmm. is the what the power structure fears is the individual and you know i i, I try to tell people i tried to tell the audience the other night we have somewhat of a conservative type of audience middle of the road you know whatever people call themselves but i said that the term liberalism has been so bastardized and it's so sad because true liberalism classically speaking classical liberalism is to have diverse ideas thoughts opinions and to accept the same in return and that's so what we see today, it, this is not liberalism. This is straight no. up authoritarianism, fascism, corporate fascism yeah. from the top down. And it's like, how can people not see it? Like, I don't understand. And then my aunt, I, I talked to her today and then like I told her, like I was talking to her about my uncle and I was like, I don't ever talk to him about anything, but he always brings up his like political stuff and assumes I'm like a huge fan of Trump or like he makes all these like assumptions about me and you know me, Dean, you've known me for what? Like six years now, five years now. Like, I don't know. You you were there during the Trump 2016 um, elections and I was definitely not rooting for Trump. I, who was running? Oh, Hillary. I was not, I was not rooting for Hillary either. Right. I, I didn't want either of them. Um, but I, I was, I had the Kool-Aid, you know, and I was very like, Oh, Trump bad Trump, Trump's the worst. Trump's awful. I wasn't, but I also knew Hillary was terrible too. So I, I refused to vote in that election. And, um, but it's weird that like how my family saw me through that and saw me, you know, try to almost have faith in the democratic party. Like, cause that's what I was used to. That's what I grew up with. Like when I was 10 years old and, you know, Al Gore was running against George Bush. I wanted Al Gore to win because that's what my mom told me. You know, my mom told me Al Gore was the guy and, and George Bush was like going to bring us into war, you know. And she used to tell me that, like, oh, you want to go to war? That's what's going to happen if we get George Bush. And so I was always like very and it's true, honestly, she was right. But um, but I was very democratic my whole life. Like, that's what I was taught to do, you know, and I just did the thing. But after finally, as soon as I like break away and I have a thought of my own, all of a sudden I'm a, I'm a fan of Trump. You can be a centrist and you can think like, okay, you know, I really don't like authoritarianism. I don't like the socialism. I'm not like a huge fan of Marxism. You know, I don't want to Justin Trudeau, like someone like that to run my life. You're like someone who's going to close your bank account because you protest against his policies. Well, what a concept, Jesse. You want to keep the money that you earn. What a terrible concept. Remember the 99% and the Occupy Wall Street movement? It's like all of those people who were in those movements and the people who thought 9-11 was an inside job. It's it's ironic that all of those people suddenly are super pro-establishment. Like out of nowhere, like yeah. where did that come from? So when you when you stick with your guns and you stick with your values, all of a sudden you're you're a you're a Trump supporter and you're right wing and you and you um and it's like honestly, and it's like people are like, well, would you rather have Trump? And I'm like, you know what? At this point, yes, a hundred percent, yes. Well, <laughs> you know, here's how I say it, and um, 
And, you know, you and I said this the other night, I said, you could talk to an Obama supporter and the average one, and they couldn't tell you about what he did, what he done, but they love the celebrity of Obama. Talk to the average Trump supporter who actually tell you they're very in tune to what some like of the efforts, efforts are, yeah. whether, you know, they, they like his character or not. I, me personally, I like it because he's hitting hard on some very demonic people that are highly mm -hmm. involved in, in, in trafficking and everything. He's so, almost like he's yeah. almost like egging him on like a troll in a way, which is good. Well, like we need well, that. This is yeah. why this is why this is the strategy is because when you hit somebody hard and, and get them unhinged, their true colors come out. And that's what mm -hmm. he did. Mm -hmm. And I tell people yep. what what tr what Donald Trump was. He was the anima that was needed for this country, but also the <laughs> cursor. He was a cursor on on a computer because wherever he went, you had to focus on that issue or whatever he was talking about. And like, oh, I never thought about that. Oh, it is fake news. I yeah, I can see that now. And it was, it was, it was, you know. Is something that had to happen. We've been living on a in a fake society and a debt society our entire lives, where there is always a new war blooming every couple of years. And he's the only president in our lifetime that said, "No, we don't need to go to a war with uh, this country. No, we're not invading. No, why are we in Iraq?" And every time he said, "Well, we're going to bomb Iran." Well, guess he started cheering all oh, the war hawks. So they clap, they get full, they start drip foaming from the mouth. Well, they just expose themselves as they're the ones pushing for a war with Venezuela or Iran. And I would remember that. And they said, why can't a American president have a seat and talk to Kim Jong-un, North Korea? Yeah, yeah. Or Vladimir Like, what's Putin? wrong with that? Like, why are you going to make, yeah. like, it's, it's like, it's like there is a, uh, a narrative behind the scenes steering public opinion and it's like you're not allowed to be a good politician you're not allowed to be a good diplomat you're just you have to go along with the narrative in in the black community you look oh my god look, they doubt they, they frown upon you if you are a conservative or a trump supporter and if you're not liberal you get looked down upon the worst people in my experience are white people that feel somehow entitled like my uncle like my uncle i know he's jewish but he has never faced hardship like that guy was born into a wealthy family got a really good education got a really good job did the thing he's never lacked anything he's i struggled my whole life he would watch me struggle and judge me and be like well you should do this you should do that you should do that and i remember he talked me into going to school he would be like, don't be my mom had had a bachelor's degree in nursing and a bachelor's degree was nothing to him. And he would be like, don't be like your mom, like, make sure you go back to school and don't be like your mother. Don't be like your mother. And then when he tried to talk me into getting the jab, he told me you don't even and I, I'm a I'm one credit away from getting my bachelor's degree. But I stopped going because my mom got cancer and got sick. I have an associate's degree. I never finished my bachelor's degree. This dude had the nerve to tell me, you don't even have a bachelor's degree. You can't read data. You can't tell me this. You can't. I was showing him like articles and articles and articles about people who got the, the jab and their immune system were screwed up. 
and I was showing him. He's like, you don't know how to read data. You don't even have a bachelor's degree. And I'm thinking to myself, so what's the difference between me and having a bachelor's degree doing one more class? These people really feel this way, though. Like they they put so much value in identity. And yeah, it's mm -hmm. identity politics. And that's yeah. that's Obama started that. We oh, can yeah. Thank him for that. It's also reputation versus character. More people are like, concerned about their reputation than they are. Do you remember how how Martin Luther King said that he judges people based on the content of their character and not the color of their skin? Um, I heard him say that in the history books, but I wasn't there when he said it. No. Well, okay. I get it. <laughs> Just, I'm not that old. <laughs> no, I, I, know, I know. Right, so, right. I thought you were. I thought you were like a hundred. I'm sorry. Um, when, when me and Jesse were in uh, D.C. at the Capitol building when Martin Luther was speaking, I do recall. <laughs> that. We were both yeah. there. I thought you were. There. I'm sorry. Yes. But, yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, like he literally said, "I do not judge people based on the on the color of their skin, but the content of their character." And it's almost like now. We don't care about the content of their character. We just care about no. the color of their skin. It's a 20-year plan. It, this is called ideological subversion placed on the entire West by China. So they don't even have to fire one bullet, imagine. They've overturned an entire culture. They've demoralized us. They have normalized the sexualization of children, the degrading of women. They've convinced us to kill ourselves. They have undermined all the family values uh, that you can think of that we grew up with. If you were a girl and you like to play softball with the boys, well, you're no longer a tomboy. Well, you're just a boy. You're just a boy. You. Yeah. Yes. You know what's funny? Like by today's standards, if I was born late enough, I would have been convinced that like I remember wishing I was a boy when I was younger. Girls will dress up like a Power Ranger and boys will dress up like a princess when they're really young. Like they're just playing make-believe. It doesn't mean that they identify, right? Like it doesn't mean that they're just like... Right. There is no sexual connotation to a lot of those make-believes and playing, you know, no. if it's a very magical It's an innocent thing. It's innocent. And like let kids be innocent. Very um, magical, uh, fun world to be in as a kid. There's a lot of fun. And, but now what happens is when you add Big Pharma into the mix, who profits off the, the transitioning, the transgender movement, because you have to take their medicines to remain mm -hmm. th this new identity that they told you that they're the ones who are gods, not nature, not a deity. No, Big Pharma is. So that's what that's the root cause of this, and it goes into a, a bigger subject. You know, we didn't get here overnight. To you know, we're, we're talking about these yeah. redundant things. This has been a an incremental evolution or devolution of thought. You know, it started with the gender bender uh, culture. You know, pop culture is a reflection of society. And it's also a mechanism to also inject these kind of thoughts into society in the lexicon of Americans mm -hmm. that we wouldn't have thought about before. You no. know, when, when you were in high school and I was in high school 
and they did the D.A.R.E. program, and they told me about all these drugs. How would I have ever found out what PCP, angel dust, and all these things were? I don't go walking around lonely alleys at night. No, no, but that's the whole point. It's the institution that only exists because of this Hegelian practice they do of the problem-reaction-solution is why they exist. I mean, they need the problem. Dean, that 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 is like literally like the uh, the whole blanket that goes over everything. Like when you think about it, I have to segue into the "Don't Say Gay" bill. Like I have to. There's nothing in that bill that says you can't say gay, and it's such a a bad faith argument from from the media, from the government. There are people that I know who are very intelligent who believe if you don't like this bill. You are homophobic. The bill in Florida that Governor DeSantis put out is the parameters are you cannot talk about gender identity with a five to a seven year old. So basically kindergarten to second grade, you can't start the uh, gender identity conversation like, oh, you might be a girl, but you might be a boy, blah, blah, blah. So wait until you're in third grade. And then once you're in third grade, it has to be age appropriate. But you cannot keep the lecture from the parents, right? So right now, the way the law is currently written, you can start a whole, you can create a whole um, lesson plan about gender identity with a a five-year-old and you don't have to tell the parents. So it's the Parent Protection Act. And, And I even somebody I know who's perfectly sane is like, I told him because he said, oh, are you talking about he's like, what's this stuff about pedos? And I'm like, well, talking to kids about gender identity between the ages of five and seven without their parents knowing about it is kind of a grooming activity. Like, why would you want to talk to kids about that between five and seven without their parents knowing about it? It's kind of weird and, and shady. And he's saying like, oh, wow, like literally I'm homophobic for supporting the bill. And it's just right. like, that's where we're at now. This is the clown world mm-hmm. that we are at. Jesse comes alive when she gets into her politics. I love it. She comes alive. I get I get pissed off. Like, I am so done with these such people. A, like, I, such, it's that, you know what it is? It's your, it's your New Yorker. You have that fire, that New York fire. Except the people, the people, like at least 75% of the people in the state are just stupid and they will just go along with anything. Like that's where, um, so a little historical fact is when the, uh, immigrants from all the way back when, about a hundred years ago, like early 1900s started coming into the ports through New York into the United States for a better life. Well, they were met there and greeted by the communists who were handing out money and saying, well, we'll take care of you. We, you know, workers' rights and all this. And that's kind of what the cops did is their strategy, their manifesto was we need to meet people where they are by any means necessary. And then we need to change society to our communist utopian by any means necessary, by force or otherwise. So when you hear, LGBTQ, you're hearing um, a communist 
outfit that's using the gay people. When you hear Black Lives Matter, you're hearing it's really a communist outfit that's using black people as the shield to, um, you know, fight off any uh, critiques or any kind of criticism, you know, else, you know, different speak. And that's well, you know, the Black done. Lives Matter people just like spend a ton of like they raised a bunch of money and they bought mansions and shit. So. Of course, yeah, because it, it, it's a money to. laundering, it's a money laundering outfit, and we we, we don't have to. It's a criminal. It's a criminal it. organization. Like of, they 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 literally are, and and it's like, oh, you're racist because you are going to criticize people who said that they raised money for, um, you know, uh, Eric Garner, but they're actually taking that money that they raised for Eric Garner and buying themselves a six hundred million dollar mansion. So whatever you so, know i don't know you know it goes to if you repeat a lie you know a lie travels around the world multiple times before the truth this is comes like out. some marxism oh, this, this is cultural marxism this is a color revolution that started hardcore in the 60s and just infiltrated the education system infiltrated the pop culture and hollywood and through the communists you had the saintness who infiltrated them in the same regard that you had the Illuminati in 1776 infiltrate the Freemasons. See, there's secret societies within secret societies, just like there's five different Department of Homeland Securities within. And then you have double agents. You have CIA who are also FBI people and infiltrate them and in NSA. So they're, they're, we're fighting people that have no allegiance to a country, to a god to an ideology other than me first and uh, do as thy will hell with everyone else. That's what we're fighting. Do you think that there's fighting. a chance? Do you think that there's a chance that like things will be okay after like everything that's happened and like things have been so, you know, jaded. Like, it's like, it's, if you're paying attention, it's like you're watching a slow train wreck, Right. It's like you, you can call something two years before it happens and you could say, okay, you know, the world economic forum and this and that, and this and that. And like, I don't know. It's just like, if you're paying enough attention, you can see the things before they happen. Right. Oh, we're going to have food shortages. Um, mm -hmm. They're closing down the economy because they want to choke us out. You know, it's not because of COVID obviously, because even with the jabs, their things are still the way that they were like people are still getting yeah. it people are still it's spreading all around the white house like it's funny because i'm a real estate agent here in new york and there's an event that i got invited to and in the email it said for our fully jabbed uh you know patrons we're going to meet in person and for the people that are unjabbed or don't want to meet in person we'll have a zoom meeting and it's like are we still doing this like i got the email today and i'm like are we really still doing this where's the logic where's the science how brainwashed do you have to be like how stupid when we were young we had to take cursive writing class in school you know cursive when you don't use cursive writing for decades and for you know and then you're adult you have problems and then the electronics and everything gets shut off and you're forced to write in cursive or just write in general 
that is a hard proposition for people who have abandoned the thought and idea of self-reliance of just writing or reading mm-hmm. an actual physical mm-hmm. hard copy. So we're asking people who have now adopted the, this identity of prestige. They've based their entire life on these ideals and morals of a, a Barack Obama, you know, doctrine and, and onwards to abandon that, admit wrong and revert back to a self-reliance critical thinking module that is so difficult for so many people that they just double down on what they've already invested in it's rather so than weird, get though, out like, of it. It's so weird to me because, like, I guess I can't relate. Like, I've been through, a, like, I'm not even trying to, like, act like I'm better. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be better. I just want everybody to just not be stupid, you know? Well... But, like, I mean, you, you've you had girlfriends or, or friends in general that are in abusive relationships and they can't see the abuse that you can. And how how many years does it take for them to, to get out of it or even admit, okay, there's something wrong? You the know, problem is, is that it's so glaringly obvious that yes. like, it's, it's like, I don't understand. Like my uncle, for instance, like he watches MSNBC so much that he has well, been brainwashed go. to the point to believe mm-hmm. that his own niece hates America because she doesn't agree with him politically. It's like, how do you get to that point? It's like, what? I understand he doesn't agree with me, but I don't think he hates America. I think he's just misguided. You know, propaganda. I think he might be well, a little that's bit. propaganda. The Nazis invented like, propaganda. The Nazis invented And my propaganda. uncle is Jewish and he would be the first person. I believe this. And it, I almost am uncomfortable with him knowing my address. Because I believe he would be the first person to rat out somebody. So here, it, here it is, Jesse. Here it is, because I, I want to, I want to um, touch some other things as we're approaching a, a crescendo. Here is ultimately, you know, it's the propaganda that has really just completely brainwashed people, and you know, Hitler. Well, Hitler and the Nazis came up with the the propaganda module. It was Edward Bernays who who created this. And then it was also Hitler who said, the uh, bigger the lie, the greater the sell. The bigger the lie, the greater the sell. Target the women, and then you got the children, so go the men. That's why when I display, like when we watch The View, yes, it's stupid, but it's also a peer into how the the talking point brainwashing subliminal messages to women are being projected on society right before our eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like, it's like um, it's like a sneaky way to get in there. It's just like I'm I, gonna get in there in the most like it's like so sleazy. Like when you think about it, like yeah, Whoopi Goldberg is willing to say whatever. You know, she she she's literally a puppet. She'll say whatever to get everybody to just be on board she doesn't have a like an original thought of her own she's she's... they they read from a script but um anyways i i want to uh change change gears here as uh you know we're we're getting into our our later night uh thoughts and the the uh the the darker elements of it um so we see what a lot of these issues are with, you know, in our own backyard, people related to us, but there's a lot of good things too. And I think that 
in this war, in this World War III that I, I've coined many, many moons ago, well, it's a war of duality where for every negative uh, action that has been casted upon us, well, there's so many positive ones as well to match that uh, effort. And if someone would have told me seven years ago, I think, if I, my math's correct, that when I met you, that uh, you would have been this evolved, very open-minded, achieving um, individual who can see the world for what it is, I would say, I, uh, well, good. But that was something that I could not have told you back then because you were in that combative nature. People are in that negative tone mm -hmm. that it becomes a sporting event after a while, you know? Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. Like when I met it's you, the Dean, journey. like it's, it's hard for me to like understand. I guess like I was with, uh, you know, the guy that we both know, right? And uh, I was young. It, it's just, you're right. Like, it's hard for me to put myself in 2016. It's, it's almost like, it's almost like I, I, I don't know. I was like, it's like you're learning to read for the first time, right? Like, you're learning how to, like, take a bunch of letters and put them into words. Like, and I was, I was always uh, what I was called a late bloomer, right? I, I, uh, I had moments where, you know, I was on, I was on board for my age, but there were also other moments where just like I was very immature, and I didn't understand social constructs. I wasn't, I was like left out of like certain things, and I don't know. So, but yeah. something clicked, like, I don't know what it was, yeah. like something, how, how, what the, what I want to know is how do we get people that are stuck? Here's the absolute truth. And I'm, I'm going to give you numbers and everything. And, and I'll make it very, very quick is there was nothing I could have done six years ago to have evolved you and put you on this journey because you had to do it yourself. Now, the mm -hmm. truth of the matter is there's nothing we can do, and it's part of the evolution is not everybody is going to get out of this. And to make my case, to highlight that, is you have now 60,000 dead millennials from the miracle jabs. That mm -hmm. is a, a generation, and it's this is a generational war. You know, how many of those millennials were going to be your friend and not call for your beheading or arrest? One of them is my beliefs? bass player. One of them exactly. is my bass player. Like, so here's and, my and point. He, like, it's crazy. Well, well, here's my point. Here's my point is they're, the, the enemies of, of us, in a sense, are killing themselves, but are dying in their own footprint of their ideologies. And you said 2016, how you evolved. Some people never evolved from 2016. And that's just evolution. That's what this is. And that's why they call it devolution. We're getting out of this old system, this old paradigm, and new ones blossoming. And the rush to the new paradigm, this new reality, and this new world are two forces, the good and the bad, to get to the top of that mountain. But uh, more people are awakening to the reality than are 
going backwards. That's why we're going to be the ones who are going to tell the story. Going to end it there for this late night thoughts um, episode here on the Real Deal Media Podcast channel, exclusively now for our members. You know, occasionally we'll put something out there for the general population, but when you have the most effective audience in the world with the some of the greatest people you've uh, have uh, had the opportunity to uh, get to know, and some of them you've yet to meet, but you just know they're great. Um, we do these things, and we look to do more in the near future for our members, more perks and stuff. And I'm sure Jesse will pick up the mic on her end to maybe even do more podcasts. We know Aaron Cates has to as well. So uh, for Jesse, Whitney, and the rest of the Real Deal Media cast, thank you uh, for listening tonight. I'm Dean Ryan. This is the Real Deal Media podcast channel, and we hope you enjoyed Late Night Thoughts. And until next time, I... I hope your thoughts are very pleasant in this late night going forward. So good night, everybody, and sweet dreams.